Greetings, beloved. Thanks for tuning in to the Bible Study Podcast for Reformation Lutheran Church in Las Vegas. I'm Pastor Jason, and you'll hear Pastor Matt leading this study on the Lord's Prayer. This week, we're hearing of the power of Jesus to forgive us our sins. May you be blessed by this study and know God's love in Jesus in your life. Getting ready to go live? We're going live. Hello, everybody. We're live. We are ready to talk about the Lord's Prayer, and uh, let's open with a prayer now. Dear God, thank you for bringing us together again to hear your word, to know that you mean it when you say we are forgiven, and remind us always that uh, each time we pray to you, you hear us, and refresh us with the words of this Lord's Prayer. We thank you for Pastor Matt and for Maxine, and for all who watch and join us today in this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, let's uh, just go right, let's go right to the heart of the matter. If everyone has their Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 9. I open right to it. Yep, and there is a story in verses 2 through 8, which are really, which is really powerful. And just then, some people were carrying a paralyzed man lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Then some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Stand up, take your bed, and go to your home. And he stood up and went to his home. When the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to human beings. There's a lot that stands out to me in this story, but what, what struck um, both of you who are here about uh about the nature of the story, specifically what he said to this person. Well, he said to him to stand up and walk. He didn't tell him your sins are forgiven. He didn't say that specifically. Um, he told him to stand up and walk. Well, first he said, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Verse two. Oh, oh there we go. Yep, he did. <laughs> so he did both, actually. But what I don't understand is why does he say what is easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Why does he he does it he does both of them? So why does he say what is easier to say? That's a great question. The way in is you've got to look at this. Why would the uh, the and this is the scribes. This is uh, I definitely would have been a scribe back in the day. I would give Jesus all sorts of why why would they object? Yeah, why would the scribes object? Why would the Bible nerds have objected here? Hey, man, you can't do that. Yeah. They would say only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. Who do you think you are? Yeah. Only God can forgive sins. So uh, what Jesus says then is he goes, well, you know what? what? <laughs> Let me show you all of the things that I can say. I can say your sins are forgiven, and I can say get up and walk. And uh, when he says get up and walk, what happens? Gets up and walks. So he's saying, well, if I can tell him to get up and walk, and he walks, if I say your sins are forgiven, are they actually forgiven or not? Nothing happens. Yeah. yeah. So this is, um, yeah, and this is, by the way, for, for you know, there's a, Huge. Uh, there are a lot of other church bodies, uh, um, and there are uh, a lot of Christians who claim that you know Jesus wasn't really God. Jesus demonstrated a godly life, or Jesus was like really close to God. Um, Jesus never claimed to be God. Is something that you'll hear um, at least as we're presented these stories by the Gospels. Um, this was as this was actually making a divine claim. Um, I can forgive sins. So um, this is uh, this is made very clear that 
you know, Jesus is God, and uh, it, and it's also something that we really struggle with, and I don't think we do this the appropriate way. What is the connection to needing your sins to be forgiven and needing to be healed from your bodily diseases? Well, we get confused by that because we think, well, they understood uh, physical ailments to be caused by sin, whether yours or the parents, right? We hear people ask, who sinned, this man or his parents? Um, and and I, I liked how you said it. You simplified the whole thing. It's like, well, forget about all that. It's, the man is commanded to stand up and walk and does so. The man's sins are forgiven and <laughs> they are. Yeah, they are forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. But but I think that's that's interesting to think about too. But um, I don't think that's the point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the, you hear this a lot um, where people go, well, if you've got some sort of disease or if you've got some sort of ailment. Um, you know, maybe it's just kind of connected to a sin. Um, lack faith. Yeah, that you lack faith. Um, yeah, I see that one. I see that one quite a bit. Um, and what kind of what I'm taking from this story is they're both symptoms of the same disease that we have ailments and that we have sins. Um, and there, uh, you don't have to, you don't have to turn away from one to receive the other. Um, and you know, there's the uh, the story of John nine, where they see the guy who's blind, right? And the disciples ask, "Well, who sinned that this person's blind?" Jesus, did he do it? Did his parents do it? Did Who's some, fault this? Yeah, did some ancestor do it? Yeah, and isn't this what we say whenever there's any kind of uh, any kind of a disaster? We're turning around and we're looking for blame. I just stopped myself from talking about current events, but um, <laughs> but yeah, this is so common that we're that we're looking to assign blame, but Jesus is there saying no. Um, it's a total change of perspective. He says, you know, this didn't happen because of anything that anybody did, but this happened so that the glory of God could be revealed in him. Um, and so um, I think it's really important when you're reading the Synoptic Gospels. We think of sins as like our rap sheet of, uh, Got a lot of red in my ledger. Yeah, and we, we think of that, you know, the theological term is forensically, like, I've done stuff bad, I need to fix it, I need to fix my whole life. But what the what, what stories like these do is they take sin away from this territory of, like, it's something mental, it's almost something spiritual, and it puts it in this territory of being physical. So what we do is we elevate physical ailments to spiritual science. But what's going on here is Jesus is taking moral transgressions and lowering them to the level, in our consciousness, right, and lowering them to the level of physical ailments. It's, it's, a, it's a mercy in just the way that we think about sin, right, that this is not black marks against our free will um, in the same way that because our bodies are frail, we get ailments. Our spirits are frail too, and we get ailments there. So already it's that connection to but, and the, the grace in that is if you are sick, you can be made well. Yep. And if you have sin, you can be forgiven. Absolutely. That, that's the powerful part to me. Yeah, no, and people especially, like, it's in the church where people lose their minds about this. They're like, well, well, you know, so if someone, I, I was with, a, uh, I was with a, a patient and, and his wife, and she said, you know, I really struggle with all these guys on death row who claim that they found Jesus. And I went, well, you, do you think it's not possible? It's like, well, why didn't they find Jesus before? <laughs> they like, weren't on death row. Well, yeah, yeah, she was so offended 
uh, by people on death row um, finding Jesus, and then you have to, you know, I didn't because that's not why I was there. But you almost have to dig down and go, you know, who hurt you that you, that that you still feel that they need to be that they need to be punished. Um, and that's our sense of justice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's also a great there's a I looked at this story and it's such a tiny story, but we get so many views of who Jesus is and what our life is called to be. So after Jesus does this trick, and well, not a trick, after he speaks God's word and, um, you know, an act of, by the way, I didn't mention this, this is an act of new creation as well. Um, Jesus says, get up and walk, your sins are forgiven, right? This is what the gospel actually is. It's not like an idea that you have to grasp. Uh, we're not told. Uh, we're not told that Jesus goes, "Hey, do you really believe this? Do you really, you know, do you entrust me with your life?" Uh, he just says, "Stand up and walk. Your sins are forgiven." Right? He does that. He speaks God's word, and when God's word is spoken, just like in Genesis, things happen, and so this act of new creation happens. And I love the crowds. Um, man, you can write a dissertation on the role of the crowds and gospel narratives like all four. When the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe. And they glorified God, who had given such authority to human beings. Now, there's a couple ways to take that. It's, well, uh, Jesus is just a guy, but looks like God gave Jesus special power. Or we could take it this way. When God says, I forgive you, you're forgiven. And also, when we say it, God is present in our act of forgiveness. So I, I might get in trouble for saying this. You're alive on the internet. I am alive on the internet. What happens is that God is present in our subjective relationships built on forgiveness in such a way that objective consideration of considerations of justice, um, it, it, such that you know those become more real than objective considerations of justice. And I say this with a danger attached to it, um, especially. And, and I will stop here for comment, but there's a danger that we take that, we take that and then we turn that into some kind of principle, right? Namely, you know, Charleston happens, and the families of the victims of that shooting, they go to court and they all forgive Dylan Roof. Mm -hmm. Now, what they're doing is they are inviting God into their subjective relationship, not only with Dylan Roof, but with their own loss. And they are saying, you know what? I, by God's power, I am releasing this for my own relationship with you because I don't want to be consumed by my hate with you. And I don't want to use this to keep me from my grief, right? And this, this is something historically that has been part of the African-American Christian experience, this nature of forgiveness. The problem then comes in when a bunch of white spectators watch that and go, oh, this is what we really need. It's Glory to God. Glory to God. Yeah, this is what we really need. Isn't this so great? Isn't this what we should do? Like, no, that forgiveness was for Dylan Roof. That forgiveness was not for any of the systems that, that raised him up. That forgiveness was not for anybody else who might be in a similar space. But there, there, there is just a real statement in there about that we have that authority from God whenever we are the ones forgiving anybody else, um, which makes it, I share all this just from this one verse because there's a real danger. Um, and I feel bad speaking badly about this because God and Jesus does say this in Matthew six, that, you know, if you want God to forgive you, then you need to forgive others. Uh, right. So we read this, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we think that it's conditional. Uh, but really the way I read that 
is the way that I have been forgiven by you, I am then empowered to do that in my in my own life. Um, so yeah, I know I know I've just kind of thrown a lot out there. No, I, I, I agree with that. I was I was coming up with that that same thing where um, especially in with that that uh, that part of the verse when we're talking about God who had given each authority or let's see given such authority to human beings so he ha- he has the authority to forgive us but he's also giving us the authority to forgive others yeah how about that and, yeah and r- r- right there I mean it's like yeah it was a it was a, a little bit of a conversation there but it took that to get that little phrase there the the understanding that's needed and i was just thinking about that especially in terms of grief and loss and what if i don't release that what if i don't invite god into that then aren't i paralyzed by that pain and that that grief that's going to eat me alive and i can say it because i know i've felt it and, and when you forgive, when you, you let go of that burden and say, I, I'm going to let this go and God take this from me so that I might be healed, forgiven, and that I can get up and walk after this. Yeah. Yeah. The great line in the movie, um, American History X, which I'm surprised. I mean, it really, you know, it had some, I think, some, kind of some rough scenes in it. But the great line from that movie was, hate is package um, and uh, yeah that's that's a part of it that you know and we're, we're speaking from a psychological perspective I think there's a real problem um, when forgiveness becomes public policy because then all that's going to do is benefit uh, people uh, yeah it's all that's going to do is benefit the powerful but you know from an individual psychological element um, you know there's a sense in which hate and anger and all these all these feelings that we have are forgiveness that we won't release. And, um, you know, and it's to me, you know, to not just this passage, but I guess forgiveness in general is we know that we are forgiven. That, that empowers us too to go and remind others that they are forgiven, that they can ask for forgiveness. Um, but if you, if you don't hear that and you need to hear it, I think from outside you, right? that you are forgiven. Um, I can tell myself I'm forgiven, but it does not have the same effect. That uh, when you hear it, you know it, then that empowers you, enlivens you to go in and forgive others. But I always got hung up on that in seminary too. It's like, so I'm not forgiven if I don't forgive others? Well, ultimately, sure you are. But existentially, personally, you're going to feel like you're not. Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot too to be said for the, the phrase, forgive and forget. Mm-hmm. Because that if you don't forget, you are still holding on to that baggage, and that's what's weighing you down. Um, and that's one of the things that that God doesn't do. He doesn't he he forgives you your sins, and then basically forgets what those sins are. Yeah. He's not holding on to that baggage, and and by the authority that He's giving us, we should do the same. We should forgive the sins, and then not continue to hold a grudge or bring it up again two years later or continue to think about it. You need to um, let it go. Of course, it's easier said than done. Yeah, it never happens if you marry a Sicilian. (laughs) 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 I love you, honey, if you're listening. Um, Yeah, no, no, I I agree. I agree. You're you're absolutely right, Ben. Um, I think we're starting to see this link of between the physicality of, of sin and uh, the, the spirituality of it. I do um, like, too, how you said that you have the spirituality and the physicality, and and Jesus brought it down to the physical level. So it's something that humans can understand instead of, instead of us having to to go to that spiritual level that we have a hard time understanding we can understand um physical um ailments but the spirituality is harder for us to understand so 
he brings it down to our level. I, I see it all the time, you know, and I saw it all the time when I was in grief group. There'd always be somebody that came to grief group to litigate about the medical care that their loved one received, which is, again, I'm on the internet. I was about to say, especially in this town, but I don't mean that. I love the medical community in Las Vegas. Anyway, so they're in a grief group to litigate about the care they got, the conversation they had with doctors, the decisions that were made, things with their insurance company. Paralysis. Yeah. And they're and they that's all they want to talk about and the they should have paid for this treatment and why did I have to go all the way to you know Mount Sinai in California and, and so they they talk about all that and then they're either pointing that accusing figure at the medical system or they themselves man if I would have tried harder for this clinical trial he'd still be here today and what you actually have to do is you have to listen to those stories and find those spots and say you sounded. Like that sounded like that was really awful. That sounded like a real kick in the gut. And when they're doing that, use all those feeling words to get that accusation away from this. Um, it's a legal space, right? To get it out of this legal space and put it into physical space. Because once, <laughs> once they have kind of owned how they're feeling, then they can start to grieve. But you literally cannot grieve when you are in that legal space. So if what I'm doing is forgiveness, I don't know, but but it feels like forgiveness because you're pulling people out of that space of accusation where they're either accusing others. Um, at times it's even their loved one. Man, I told him to quit smoking. Yeah, and he just would sneak cigarettes. I'm so mad, right? The, the accusation goes all over the place. And then to pull them out of that and say, talk to me about this awful weekend that you Talk to me about yeah to 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 but what's right in front of you yeah so yeah no I I I appreciate that so yeah but so there's a lot going on and what seven verses <laughs> about the about the the connections that we have to each other the connections that we have to god and the connections that god has to uh forgiveness um and uh what it, it, i i have this listed to talk about later but i think the order of this of the way that we say this is important we don't say help me forgive other people so that i can take my forgiveness from you and I'm saying this with such trepidation because Jesus is very clear about this in uh, Matthew 6. Um, and also he is largely taking this from the Jewish legal tradition, which still upholds this, um, that you can't go to, you know, if you're Jewish, you can't go to um, Yom Kippur. You can't go to that service until you've made peace with other people. And we liturgically keep a form of that. That's, by the way, what the sharing of the peace is. You cannot go up to the altar. Um, you cannot go to the altar if you've got beef with somebody in that congregation. You have to go heal it. Um, so I say, obviously, we can't deal with all our problems during the final pass of the peace. But I always pastorally recommend whoever has irritated, annoyed, scared, otherwise, like whoever makes you uncomfortable, just make sure that they they are on your radar to get the peace, and then you're keeping within the spirit of that. But I, I just think it's so important that we say first, forgive us our trespasses, and then in that space where, where God has forgiven us, we then um, carry that space out um, into our neighbors. So, um, you know, just... It almost takes it for granted. Forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. Um, those who sin against us. So it's like, well, we know we have to do that. Now forgive us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I, I guess I, I had something, I had something clever to say, but I think we'll move right into Luther and maybe say it. Well, what, what about a quick question about different translations? So sometimes we say this prayer as we say, "Forgive us our trespasses." Sometimes it's forgive us our sins. Jesus, in this translation anyway, says forgive us our debts. We have forgiven our debtors. Um, We hear different connotations in there, and I think that makes us think about what it is that we're doing. 
a little differently. And, and in dense, I mean, I think we get that pretty pretty well. It's like I want to uh, I want to have this cleared off. Yeah. Just just take away this this thing that I owe. Yeah. And yeah, I'll do it for everyone else too. But uh, but take away this this debt that I owe. Yeah. This thing that I cannot fulfill myself. Mm, yeah, and, and it's you know where are where at least our social theory of what sin is comes from. Um, it comes from, and this is still the practice um, of a lot of tribal groups, that if if somebody gets harm caused to them, that has to be repaired in some way. And you actually hear this in the Bible. Um, yeah, you hear it in Genesis 4. When Cain kills Abel, God says, uh, which is really... Um, it's really kind of almost comforting when you think about it because this is how close God was to Abel. Um, God says, your your brother's blood is crying out to me. What are we going to do about this? Right? So I think that's where um, where our, or our notion of trespass comes. Like if I do something bad, something has been damaged, and this needs to be repaired. Right? So in the ancient world it was, uh, you know, your, uh, your dog killed my goat so we have to kill your dog yes. it's, yeah it's the first i know you only watch the show but it's the first couple episodes of uh, game of thrones mm-hmm. where Arya's wolf gets killed <laughs> it's the same thought right if uh, um you know whoever should and and that's in in genesis 4 god keeps that going saying whoever sheds the blood of cain by human beings shall his blood be shed so I think that's the sense that sin actually, and keeping it physical again, sin actually breaks something in the physical world. It's not in the modern world. We, we go, oh, I sinned. This says something terrible about me. Now I have to start saying good things about myself. Um, and this is part of the, I think, what the power of AA is, is that it gets you out of that space and says, like, go to these people that you have harmed and yeah, make it right, repair it. So I, I think that's where it's coming from. So however you're talking about it in terms of trespass or uh, that's what a that's what a sin that's really what a sin is. Makes me think too of um, you know when people say oh you know an eye for an eye it's like you 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 did this to me so uh, you know I'm going to do this to, to hurt you back but it's actually the opposite of that or the good way of that is like God has forgiven us for things that we did we need to in turn forgive others for things that they did instead of um, somebody that harmed us harm them back it's like nope somebody God forgave us so we need to to be forgiving so kind of the the same concept of an eye for an eye but with forgiveness. Yeah, and it's countercultural too. Then, and as is now, yeah. that I'm just going to say, okay, well, I, I forgive you. I'm going to let this go. I'm going to um, not take what is owed to me for this thing. Um, and the and the world goes, you're being foolish. You know, get what's yours. You you owe are owed restitution, and um, to not receive it is is a slight to our our idea of justice. So. Uh, to forgive seems silly at times, mm-hmm. and maybe to God too, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean that's a pretty powerful thing we're asking for. Forgive us, God, as we've forgiven those who, who sin against us. And even when you're talking about too about restitution, or you know that you you want something and and you're able to grant forgiveness, and it's like that doesn't it doesn't put anybody out. It's not you're not getting um, making putting somebody out for having to, to pay the restitution. A lot of times I think of restitution as payment um, or or their suffering or anything like that. It's just we don't have to suffer for God's forgiveness. So why should we make somebody else suffer for our forgiveness? Yeah. Well, and the, 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 the fact is this is actually I, I, I love that I like I put an outline that's getting it's one of the yeah, no, 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 no. But, but I love how you put that because somebody did actually have to suffer for our forgiveness. And, and here's the key: 
somebody else suffered for their forgiveness too. <laughs> so, um, and every you know, in the uh, in every single one of those interactions, um, mm-hmm. it's there. Like we, I'll hear this in the church, and they'll talk about. Oh well, we are Christians. We believe in unconditional forgiveness. I'm like, no, we don't. We believe in like the worst condition of all—that God literally had to die in order for us to be forgiven. Uh, we believe in super conditional forgiveness, um, but that condition is is one that's so utterly out of our the capacity to comprehend. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you, you're right. Um, that that Jesus actually stands there between us and God, and Jesus is actually standing there um, between us and our neighbor too. So yeah, yeah, he's doing all the all the suffering. Thank you for reminding me of that. No, no, no I know. I mean, yeah. I don't know how you put that? Because I'm like exactly, 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 and then this is. Yeah. So I could not resist going all the way to the end of the lesson. Yeah. <laughs> the perfect, yeah, it was a perfect setup. Um, yeah, it's a, um, it's just such a powerful way to um, conceive of who we are and our, who our relationships are. Um, and I love actually where this is in the prayer, right? So we've already asked for our daily bread, and so we've confessed. That God, when it comes to you, we are all, as Luther said, we're all beggars. And uh, we confessed that. And then, okay, so we have our daily bread. We have what we need. And then we're going to go do stuff, right? And so we don't pray to make the world a better place. We don't pray. We don't give us power. We don't pray for anything. We we admit, okay, you're going to give us what we need. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go out and sin. And this is underemphasized in the church, too. And other people are also going to sin against us and hurt us. That's what's going to happen in the world. And I I think this avoids two pitfalls. I glean both of these from Tilaki's really wonderful sermons on this. Um, The first pitfall that we have in the Christian, in the entire Christian life, right, even if you believe that, you know, it's not up to your works, First pitfall you have in the Christian life is to think that your life is 100% just developing your personal piety, you know, mm-hmm. you know, having that Jesus calling book close to hand, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, which is not a bad book and it's good to have close to hand, but, uh, you know, just getting, you know, being a, a prayer person and just loving God and, you know, if more people would just love God, right, the turn to the interior and then uh, the other pitfall is the complete turn to the exterior, uh, which is to say, okay, all this, uh, all this sin and forgiveness stuff, this is on the back burner now. Uh, now, now we can just kind of like do a check mark on that, and then we can go to really important stuff, right? So <laughs> there's two pitfalls. One is completely withdrawing inside of yourself. And then one is being so far outside of yourself that you forget yourself entirely. Um, it's something that you can involve, you can observe now in real time on social media. Um, people that have gotten into partisan politics so much so that they'll defend indefensible actions that you know from like being in an actual you know physical relationship with them that it's something they would never allow their kids to do, but because it's a politician on their team, they're going to excuse it. Right. Or you get so caught up in your own activism, um, you get so caught up and your activism doesn't always have to be political, but you get caught up in so much in your own. Like, I'm going to be the best accountant. I'm going to be the best. You get so caught up in your vocation to the point that you lose yourself, to the point that you think that what you are producing and doing is so wonderful um, that everything else can kind of be sacrificed for that. And so what this petition does is 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 uh, call you back from inside yourself and call you back from outside yourself with realism. Whatever you do, you're going to sin. Whatever you do, other people are going to sin against you. And the way that this is changed is by receiving forgiveness 
and applying forgiveness. These are, I, to many people in our denomination, I feel like these are vital. Um, but if you if you read people who were, you know, spiritual activists, they're aware of this. Uh, Gandhi spent a lot of time. Um, Gandhi spent a lot of time cultivating his own spirituality, and Gandhi realized that a lot of the evils of colonialism started with him. Um, not started, but were embodied in him. Um, you know, King realized this. Um, you know, even, you know, King is unfortunately abused to, you know, turn forgiveness into a public, public policy program, such as the things King, King wanted are ignored. Um, but he was really good at talking about this, um, talking about that, you know, true, true activism starts here. And I read that in the um, autobiography of Malcolm X and, um, and James Baldwin, Fire Next Time, he's really, he's really clear about that, that what's been so evil about society is what it's done to his own heart, um, such that whenever you see marginalized groups destroying property or anything like that, that's not. Anyway, we could go well down that, that rabbit hole, um, but the change starts with human hearts, but it does not stay there. And those are the two pitfalls of the Christian life. You think that we think that, well, if I'm just changed, everything will be okay. If I'm just a loving Christian and everybody is like me, then everything will be okay. Or we think, well, I just have to pour myself out so completely that I lose sight of going on. Because um, in either of those ways, you're going to lose sight of the reality that you live in and also the relationships, um, the relationships that you live in. So I know that was a long sermon, but... Yeah, no, I'm thinking about, uh, I, I love that idea that this not only, it, it doesn't detach us from the divine to make us too focused on on earthly stuff, and and yet it doesn't, uh, it doesn't keep us just focused on what is to come either. It's like, you are forgiven, forgive others, be forgiven. And it's, it's so intertwined. And, and I think, yeah, yeah, I see a lot of that in Gandhi too, and I was thinking of uh, that, Talking about eye for an eye, leaving the whole world blind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is Gandhi. Yeah, that is Gandhi. Uh, yeah. It's um, it's really amazing that this uh, is this way because say we need our daily bread. We have things that we need, but we're also going to suffer. We're going to suffer at our own hands. We're going to cause suffering to others, and others are going to make us suffer. It's it's this entire prayer is just spiritual realism all the way through, um, and especially when it starts to get close to the ground, uh, to where our lives are. So. Uh, the other thing that, that I was thinking about was Jesus' words from the cross: "Father, forgive them; they do not know what they are doing." And um, it's something something that. It, I keep in mind when I pray that prayer, it's like, believe. Jesus is forgiving the ones who crucified him already. And uh, so what can't be forgiven? Yeah, this is, I, I love what he says. And, and there, there's such a power around there. Uh, but I, I've worked with so many people about paying attention to what Jesus is actually saying. He's not saying... I forgive. Father, forgive. Father, forgive. He, I don't think at that point where you're being beaten, abused, mocked, or insulted, right? And, and this is pushed on Christians. Um, one, this was from a couple of years ago, and I was serving in the IPU. Um, there was a uh, there was a patient in there, and before he died, he wanted forgiveness from his doctor in the lesson, and um, and, and, you know, he was like, you've got to go out and tell her you're a pastor. You know, this is what God wants her to do, uh, just so he could clear his conscience that he wouldn't, you know. And I said, here's what I'll do. I'm going to declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of the entirety of your sins. But whatever she has with you, that is her journey. That is not... 
yeah. you know, God is not going to, God is not going to force you into that. But I want to let you know that um, that from Christ, as a golden, you know, I, I pulled out all the stops, yeah. pulled out all the language. I just want to let you know that. Um, but whatever you take from, whatever forgiveness you receive from her, that is her gift to you. Um, and if she doesn't give it, that is that is her choice, and that's you know the consequence of your actions. Um, and and Jesus, by doing that, I think is freeing people that are um, you know, if forgiveness ever becomes a law, it's no longer forgiveness. This is why we can't enact forgiveness into the law. You know, the purge. Is, is forgiveness enacted into law, right? They, nobody's going to be held to account. Whatever they do, they're just going to let them go, um, which is why you can't ever impose forgiveness on people. You, God will give forgiveness to people, and then they are empowered to carry that as they are able, covered in God's mercy. Uh, and that's powerful too to, to release it to say I can't I can't forgive this God will you forgive this like that's that's powerful too yeah. maybe we've had experiences like that in our lives where I, I'm not there God do this forgiveness thing because that's what you do yeah. yeah and maybe in that process I'll be dragged along with that too yeah it, it's the it's the permission that God himself said you know Jesus went father this is on you. And then the other thing that he says that's really, really powerful um, about what, um, what causes sin is he says they don't know what they are doing, um, which, which uh, again, I'm gonna get into, I, I'm gonna get into such trouble. You're not getting into current events. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get into current events of 33 AD or 33 CE. Okay. These guys knew what they were doing. They were Roman soldiers. They, you know, probably joined up somewhere looking for, you know, money and women. Uh, so they were sent to this foreign land to brutalize people, to make people carry their shields and their packs. There was no consequences for any brutality a Roman soldier inflicted on a non-Roman citizen. Um, as we found out when Paul was arrested, and they were like, oh, she's a citizen, shoot, we just can't beat him up. But they sure could do that to Jesus. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were taking a person, and they were brutalizing them. Making an example. Making an example out of them, because... Just followed Yeah, because, you know, and however you conceive of Jesus' relationship to the Roman Empire, he was accused of somehow being a threat to public order. So they knew exactly... Um, what they were doing. And Jesus still says they don't know what they are doing. Um, and it's almost it's almost like our sinfulness is almost like a spiritual dementia where we're doing things but we don't know why we're doing them. We aren't we are in possession of ourselves which, uh, and this is dangerous again to say, that almost takes free will out of this kind of dominant space um, and um, I, I get in trouble in church when I talk about there's no free will because middle class Lutherans love their free will. <laughs> but it's taking it out of that space in free will. It's saying this is part of a disease that you have, right? And you can read that disease as this is the disease of empire that has taken over these people that's doing it to me. Or you could read that disease of like, um, this is the disease of the, you know, this is the way that you climb to the top in this world, or the disease of these guys are bored and this is what they do for fun. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, you know, there's, there's a whole lot contained. There's a whole theology of sin contained in that. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So this, this Lord's Prayer then brings us back to relationship. It takes it out of a system of forgiveness and says, this is relational. This is between me and my neighbor. This is between me and Jesus. This is um, not detached from the experiences of my life and the things that I do and will do and, and everything that's been done for me. Yeah. My, my relationship with God does not live. You know, we talked about it in the sermon today, right? All these books are selling you that there is some space 
that you can carve out in your life, and usually will tell you to do a couple things. They'll tell you to read your Bible. They'll tell you to trust in God. None of it is bad. And then they'll tell you to just like do your best. When it comes down, what does that mean to trust in God and, and read your Bible? It means do your best. <laughs> it means, yeah, it means, yeah. It, 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 do your best and don't complain. I guarantee you, if somebody wanted to do a dissertation, and why would they? That's why. <laughs> yeah, do, do your best and don't complain. I, maybe a lot of Lutherans, that's been the. the MO. <laughs> that's, that's definitely a, a lot of my friends that serve out on the prairie. That's, that's definitely the spirituality that they do. your best, don't complain. But this is something a little bit more. This is in that rough and tumble of life, in places where there will be divorce, where you will get cheated out of money, uh, where people will um, you know, drive 120 miles on I-15 and crash and kill people. Um, you know, Tealy is talking about this as bombs are dropping. Um, you know, in this world, there will be suffering, and where God meets us in that world is through um, is through forgiveness. And this is one of the best lines uh, in all of Luther when he says, "In short, unless God constantly forgives, we are lost." I wish that would get elevated because, <laughs> um, yeah, Luther is. I won't go too far into it, but forgiveness was considered to be a part of the law, but a part of the law that was really hard to do. So uh, in the Middle Ages, these were called the evangelical councils. And so if you could do this, if you could like forgive somebody, it would be like, oh, man, you're really a good Christian. Uh, but what Luther's saying is that the gospel is actually God forgiving. That's the content of the gospel, not us doing these super feeds of forgiveness. And once we recognize that God has forgiven us, then 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 we're able to walk into our relationships with the congregants. Yeah, and we're always trying to find a loophole, and that maybe that's just who we are. We're trying to go well, but you know, what what is the requirement here? What do I have to do? And uh, and you know, what can we say is good enough? what can we uh, just create a, a pathway here so that we can move on? No, God says forgive. Yeah. Forgive. I've forgiven you. Now forgive. Yeah. And, and Peter says it. Well, how many times do I have to do it? Yes, <laughs> yes. How many times? Seven, right? Seven is a good word. Seven is a good word. Uh, seven is a good number. There's seven days, right? If somebody comes to me for an entire week and is a total jerk, then I must be off the hook, no more forgiveness. And Jesus says, no, I say to you, forgive him 70 times, seven. Um, and seven is... And Peter didn't, he was no math whiz, so yeah. he wasn't doing the math in his head, I don't think. Yeah. Well, it's funny, in biblical numerology, seven is the number that signifies completeness. So what Peter's saying is, someone, if someone sins against me seven times, he's saying, if That's someone has completely wronged me... Um, if someone's completely wrong me, I don't have to do this anymore. And Jesus says, no, I say to you 70 times seven. Like, where is completeness? Is completeness in how many times you forgive or in how many times you've been hurt? No, complete, completeness is it's a in, higher number than you can count. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's what we're uh, being led into. So. Um, I have a, uh, to kind of close, I do have a trippy bit of ecclesiology, unless you have anything any thoughts, Maxine? No, 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 no. This has been enlightening, really. So let's, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and continue. Okay. And Eileen's listening too. Hi, Eileen. Oh, hi there, Eileen. Okay. So, as I'm putting this study together, I, there's so much that can be said about forgiveness and the space that we're being pulled into in our own lives and in our own relationships. Uh, but something really powerful happens with Jesus. Uh, that we have to kind of flip between the Old and New Testament to see. And the best place to do that is in the letter to the Hebrews. And it starts in chapter 9. Can someone read verses 19 through 22? I have to find Hebrews first. Chapter what? Nine, verse, chapter 9, verses 19 to 22. 
Okay, I got it. 19 through 22. For when every commandment has been told to all the people by Moses in accordance with the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wood and hyssop and sprinkled both the scroll itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant of God. This is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. In that same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that's there in the law. So what you get when you read a book like Leviticus, you get if you read, and I won't make us do it, if you read Leviticus chapters 4 and 5, it's like, okay, for the sins of the priests, take this animal. For the sins of the people, take this animal. And it's like, and then and then you'll get forgiveness, and then you'll get forgiveness, and then you'll get forgiveness. And if you don't have this, get, then, get, then get pigeon. And then... Yeah, yeah. And so that's what the entire system is set up for. So much so, right, and this is talking about the tabernacle in the wilderness, but so much so, if you flip ahead, to First uh, Kings 8, um, and I'll go ahead and read it. This is Solomon blessing the temple. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Regard your servant's prayer and plea, O Lord my God, heeding the cry and prayer that your servant prays to you today, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you said... My name shall be there. I think we prayed for that too, right? Mm -hmm. That you may heed the prayer that your servant prays toward this place. Hear the plea of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Oh, hear in heaven your dwelling place. Hear and forgive. So this is what the what the entire temple is built around this is what the entire uh, liturgical life of the community is hear us and forgive us and it's being held up with all of these sacrifices but Hebrew says that something something uh, really interesting happens if anyone wants to read Hebrews 9 verses um, 23 through 28 Thus it was necessary for the sketches of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves need better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself again and again as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have had to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for mortals to die once and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is, the, man, this is such an overlooked part of the Bible, right? So you have the temple where the priest takes all the animals, sacrifices, goes into the Holy of Holies and says, you know, hear your people, forgive us, hear your people, forgive us, right? The priest is that mediator. Jesus does the same thing, but he's not entering the tabernacle. He's not entering the human temple, right? Solomon's like, man, Solomon's praying going, you know, how can we find a house to continue? Your house is the heaven. Jesus is like, well, I'll go there. Yeah. <laughs> I will go there. Yeah. I will go there. And listen to when it says that he'll do it. The end of the age. At the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. So anytime anybody asks you, when do you think Jesus, when do you think is the end of the world? The biblical answer is 33 CE. <laughs> the end of the world has already happened. And Jesus is the one, right? You can't forgive sin without blood, and you need somebody to actually go and carry the sacrifice. So Jesus is the priest and the ram and the bull or whatever it is, and he goes in there. He goes in there once, and when you die, you're with him. 
says he's coming in the uh, in the uh, he's coming a second time, and this is what the final judgment is. He dealt with sin the first time. You know this thought that you go up to St. Peter and St. Peter reads the larger resume? No. He dealt with sin the first time. It's done. All Jesus is doing that second time is to say, save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And something, something really powerful happens. And you only see it at the very end of Luke's gospel. So forgiveness is something that you go to the temple to attain. But Jesus did this once and for all sacrifice. We don't need to do it again. This is why we don't need to sacrifice bulls to God. Chapter 24 of Luke's Gospel. uh, Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. They said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And this is why. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So instead of having a temple that you would go to so God would hear you and forgive you, Jesus went to that bigger temple forgave everything and then he doesn't stay there he actually goes to meet people so it's like uh, if the temple is the in the center of Jerusalem and it's kind of like bringing all of humanity to it to get forgiven by God what Jesus does um, and tearing the curtain is uh, a little more than symbolic here blows up the temple so you got to imagine like a nuclear explosion and the radioactivity is all this forgiveness that's being radiated out into the world. This is uh, this is Jesus as nuclear bomb. Uh, I'll probably get in trouble for saying that uh, in favor of, of nuclear weapons. But this is, I just watched uh, Connection on uh, Netflix. This is why I'm thinking of this. <laughs> Great show, by the way. Um, it, it's this nuclear bomb which radiates um, into the entire world. It's the atmosphere. Into the atmosphere, right? This is, you've just witnessed a nuclear explosion, and now forgiveness, forgiveness fallout is going to happen all over the world. And this is not to say that, you know, Judaism is wrong, or it's not to say that this, this is a better temple, uh, but this is to say this is what's happening um, in Jesus. And I think there are plenty of Jews who would, who would say, you know, the temple was not so great. I prefer the Torah. I heard that from and, But that's the thing. That, and that's the connect, great connection, too. It's like, well, how is this forgiveness and repentance proclaimed? He doesn't get on a bus and go town to town. He's proclaimed yeah. through the word, mm-hmm. that living word of God. Yeah. That is still with us, that gets passed around as we forgive others and hear that we are forgiven. So. Yeah. And, and this is the gospel. This is the gospel, the, the forgiveness that is given. And we carry that. We carry it as if God said it, right? Whenever we forgive somebody, God is, is right there going, yep, right there. And whenever we, even if we have to do what I did in that uh, Dynamax room, even if we have to sidestep and say, you know what? I can't get that person to forgive you. I can't forgive you, but proclaim God's forgiveness. I can't proclaim Matt's forgiveness. I can't proclaim Maxine's forgiveness. I can proclaim God's forgiveness because Jesus has given us that. As a pastor, you cannot compel other people to forgive. This is a terrible legacy um, of the church in recent years in abuse. You cannot compel somebody who's been wrong. You can give God's forgiveness as a gift. I can tell you how good it feels to forgive. I can tell you what happens when we forgive, but that's you. You do have that free will. Yeah. So, but yeah, this is where Jesus actually, Jesus becomes the radioactivity, the fallout of forgiveness um, over the entire world. And and if it wasn't such a powerful thing, if it wasn't such a powerful prayer, would we have prayed it for 2,000 years together across the nations? Right. Powerful. There's a lot there. And plenty to talk about next week and the week after that. Yep, yep. And then uh, this is the rest of our our Christian lives. Uh, Not wanting to get tempted and not wanting to be an evil. So it's just down 
downhill from here. The bread was the best part. Good. So let's we'll talk next week about the time of trial. Yeah. Um, and shall we pray? Our Father, Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yes, it is so. I agree. Amen. Thanks, Maxine. Thank you very much. Hello to your family and friends who were there. And Thank you. And to Jackie and Eileen, we're glad you're watching too. Peace be with you. Bye, everybody.